Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. So from the very earliest teachings attributed to the historical Buddha that would refer to the mind, one was mana and one was citta. These terms keep coming up but they're always just translated as mind. But actually, if we look at them closely, we see that while sometimes those words are used interchangeably, but very often they have two very distinct qualities to them. Manas is referring to the mind that is rational, that is verbal, that is, uh, has beliefs, views, and opinions, that interprets the world into stories. But then there was this other word, citta, which refers to a mind that is nonverbal, emotional, that is the body mind or the heart mind, it's sometimes called. It's the quality of attention. It's the mind that is that it, where all of our implicit behaviors and our habits are stored. So very early on, there was this recognition that there's two kinds of mind that we have. And due to recent developments since the 1960s, not only split brain research with epilepsy patients, but transcranial magnetic stimulation and water tests and fMRI scans have shown that in fact, the two hemispheres of the brain, which have essentially this there's a right and left everything in your brain, right? And why is that? And why not only are there duplicates of everything, but why is it that these two hemispheres are shaped differently? And why is it that certain hemispheres, one hemisphere will light up doing certain tasks at times when another hemisphere will be rather silent and vice versa? And why, and how does that help us explain our behaviors and our, views of the world that we can have very contradictory uh, struggles in us. We can have desires that we procrastinate. We can have goals that we forever self-sabotage ourselves with. We can have uh, yearnings to be connected but always seek distance when we get close to someone. So we can see these contradictory desires and the behaviors that lead to this sense of what the fuck is going on with me and why what's going on well in fact the more you understand the workings of the left and right brain the top and bottom you'll it becomes crystal clear and then we can work on strategies to help address this so in early life babies connect with caregivers for security and all of that work for the first four or five years is done almost entirely with the right hemisphere. You're conscious with your right hemisphere, you're sending nonverbal signals with your right hemisphere, you're bonding with other people with your right hemisphere, you're uh, establishing connections with your right hemisphere. All of the learnings that happen with your right hemisphere, the right brain, in early life, By the time we become adults, 
are what's known as implicit learnings. These are things that you do automatically that are exceedingly difficult to change. Common example, how do you stand up? How do you tie your shoes? How do you hold a fork? How do you walk? Those are examples of implicit behaviors. You don't remember learning to use a knife and fork, but you now know how to do it. You don't remember how to tie your shoes, but you know how to do it. You don't remember these learnings, but they are deeply instilled. And if you try to change any of these deeply ingrained behaviors, well, guess what? It would be fucking difficult. It would be really, really painful. Implicit behaviors are, by nature, automatic. You don't have to think about you know, how to walk while you're thinking. You don't have to, when you're lost in thought, I'm, when I'm on my bike and I'm remembering something, I'm not aware of balancing or pedaling or any of that stuff. I'm doing it, it's pretty automatic. Well, not only are these behaviors which are right, you know, started by the right hemisphere deeply ingrained, but also all of our emotional tendencies and relationships, our expectations of other people, how the kinds of people we attach to for love and care, our attachment patterns, these are established by the right hemisphere in these early years, and they create these models. And you've probably, if you've ever fallen into a pattern of seeking love and attachment with people who are incapable of giving it to you, you might have learned that, you might realize, holy shit, I'm never going to do that again, and only to find ourselves repeating the same patterns over and over again. Because these are implicit behaviors. They're not implicit behaviors you can be aware of. Oh, maybe I shouldn't brush my teeth with my right hand, I should do it with my left. Good fucking luck. The next night, you'll wind up picking your toothbrush up with your right hand and doing it the exact same way. It takes an enormous amount of sustained uh, effort over time and reducing the stress to change an implicit behavior. So the right hemisphere has some other qualities. It's all about nonverbal communication, has very little language. It basically, when it does have language, it's all metaphoric. It views life in terms of associations, not stories. Your right hemisphere has no concept of the past, the present, or the future. It's timeless. That's why traumas that are not resolved by the left hemisphere, we still feel like it could happen again any moment. If somebody's in a car crash and their left hemisphere is shut off because of the amount of uh, neurotransmitters, hormones, the sheer overwhelming quality of the event, and the memories are stored by the right, the right will not know that the car crash was in the past. And every time that person gets in a the car, they will tense and start to panic. If somebody is in a relationship where they open themselves up and trust, and then suddenly out of the blue they find out their partner is cheating and it's a trauma for them, it'll become exceedingly difficult for them to trust anyone again for a while because they will, their right hemisphere will believe that could happen again and again and again because right hemispheric learnings are not, oh, well, that was in the past, it's now the present. Anything that happens that your right hemisphere learns, it has to unlearn for it to know that it's no longer applicable.
no past, no present, no future. Everything that happens is still happening until we show it otherwise. Your right hemisphere uh, is embodied. It's the, the hemisphere of the brain that knows how your body state, your gut feelings down your vagal vagus nerve. It's connected to all of the nonverbal experiential parts of your life. Your right hemisphere loves nature and views itself as connected with nature, interconnected with other people. Your right hemisphere doesn't think in terms of me versus everyone else. It doesn't think in terms of categories. It is concerned with your security and it seeks your security by establishing safe relationships that are nonverbal. So it's an interconnected, when your world, when your right hemisphere is very overactive, it will trigger, because almost all of the, uh, the emotional wounds and sad events in life are stored there, it will lead to depression. People who have you know, monopolar depression have been shown again and again and again to have overactive right hemispheres. And what you're given in that case is a serotonic drug like an SSRI, SSNI, Prozac, Cymbalta, venlafaxine, whatever. You're given one of those, which is an inhibitor, which allows the right hemisphere to stop uh, expecting bad things to happen all the time. So the left hemisphere is, when we start to know it, exceedingly different. The right hemisphere is always working in the background in adult life. Around age five, four or five, your consciousness migrates away from the right to the left. And your right, which was conscious and operating everything the first four years and learning all these skills, now everything it learns is happening in the background. And you're no longer aware of it. So all those early learnings about what people are all about, what relationships will give you, whether you'll be safe in the world or not, whether you can trust other people or not, how to, who you're going to turn to for love in your life, all those learnings which were, you were aware of in early life now are unconscious. And your left brain now becomes involved with the things that adult uh, our you know life is generally about it focuses on how am I going to get my food how am I going to become self-reliant how am I going to get enough money to pay the rent how am I going to accomplish things so that I will have tribal esteem and people will think really good things about me your left hemisphere has language and it has narratives and it's completely concerned with the past, the present, and the future. Everything, instead of storing everything by emotional associations like the right brain, your left brain turns everything into a story. First I did this, and then I said this thing to the other person, and then they said that, and then I said well, blah, 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 and then I'm not talking to them until they say blah, 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 and then etc. We turn everything into this narrative schematic story. The left Hemisphere views yourself as separate and unique, and that's what it cares about, what sets you apart. The left brain, because uh, it's argued by McGilchrist, a great uh, philosopher and neuropsychologist, argues that our contemporary climate disaster and our ecosystemic disasters, where we view ourselves as somehow separate from the world around us, 
that we can somehow do whatever we want and not care about the results is entirely because our Western culture is far too over-reliant on the left brain, which thinks it can fix and solve everything by accumulating. Left brain is always about self-reliance. The right brain is all about establishing security through connections with others. They couldn't be more different in their orientations. In childhood, the only thing you care about is how can I be can connect and bond and establish security. In your adult life, when you're overly left brain, the only thing you care about is how can I get enough money so I can just be alone or just not have to rely on other people or just take care of myself. The left brain is later late developing, the right brain develops early. It's, um, <coughs> it loves to label. It loves to turn everything into a category, good, bad, us, them, right versus wrong. Interestingly enough, I tend to believe, and there's a lot of uh, science I could point to, that women have far superior brains to us men because uh, the corpus callosum that connects the right to the left is slightly bigger with women. So they have a capability of integrating both hemispheres more than men who tend to try to fix and solve everything and tend to view in terms of strict right or wrong beliefs and tend to have impaired capabilities of integrating emotions unless they really develop those skills. And that sets up an entirely huge host of behavioral problems if you can't integrate both hemispheres. Your left uh, can inhibit impulses by using logic, by using long-term goals. Oh, I don't want to say or do that or run or I don't want to do this because it interferes with my long-term goal to become, to make more money. Your right hemisphere inhibits goals or inhibits, I'm sorry, impulses simply because it worries about your security and how well connected you are to other people and what makes you feel safe. Your right brain is what learns all the tools to soothe yourself. Your left <coughs> keeps in mind, what am I gonna buy? What am I gonna purchase? What do I need to attain? What do I need to get to become more self-reliant and not have to depend on anyone else? When we grow up and we have secure attachment, studies show we are far more integrative of both. We can both attain goals, seek a, a degree of independence, and uh, engage in projects on our own, but we also can establish long-term secure relationships where we express our emotions. But for everybody else here, <laughs> uh, if you didn't get secure attachment, then you will either, in certain situations, lean to your right, or lean to your left. Nobody, here's an important thing, nobody is right brain or left brain. Much of the time, if you've ever drawn a picture, if you ever play an instrument, if you ever uh, balance anything, if you ever jump up and down for any reason, if you ever sing or dance, all of those require both hemispheres of your brain. But for many of us, we will lean to the right or lean to the left. If you lean to your left, you will inhibit awareness of your body, 
because the left is disconnected with the body. You'll try to figure everything out logically. And if you have avoidant attachment, you'll try to diminish your reliance on your primary partner. If you even have a primary partner, you'll constantly seek distance and independence. If you're anxious in relationship, you'll lean to your right. You'll have outs, your emotions will be slightly dysregulated. You'll constantly expect emotional experiences like abandonment and rejection. You will constantly uh, find yourself at a point where it's very difficult to inhibit or regulate impulses and you'll find anger or fear or um, worry to be a prominent part of your relationships. If we lean to the left, too much in too many different areas, we will become so analytical and so convinced of our rationality, we will suffer extreme deprivations and results. People who lean to the left in crucial areas of their lives, like how they behave in relationships, or how they regard their careers and work, or how they interact with their families, because they're distant, because they shut down their emotions, you're actually your feelings and your body is what actually makes decisions. The more people get stuck in trying to make pros and cons lists or try to figure out analytically what is the most uh, intelligent thing to do, interestingly enough, they become incapable of making decisions. Why is this, Bo? Because the decision maker, to use an old Bush term, the decider, the actual decider in the brain is the ventromedial lobe, primarily in your right. It's your emotional felt experience that decides what you're going to eat for dinner, to whether or not you're going to take a job, to whether or not you're going to accept someone's, you know, uh, whether you're going to swipe right or swipe left. All that is made essentially by your right brain. So the more we try to essentially inhibit impulses via the left and try to analyze everything and always try to be smart, the more decisions become painful, the more we'll stall, the more we'll procrastinate because we don't actually, we're not engaging the very part of the brain that actually is the decider. It, uh, what else? Oh yeah. The right brain is what establishes your security and tells you whether you should trust someone or not. If you try to figure that out logically, you'll make mistake after mistake after mistake because that's your right brain's job. Your right brain works and speaks to you through your body. That's what's called intuition. The only way to understand the messages your right brain is sending to you is by learning to read the gut sensations in the front of your body, your face, your throat, your chest, your rate of breathing, how tight or released your stomach is. If you learn how to read these parts, you can actually make decisions that will integrate both right and left hemisphere. If you lean to the left, I mean to the right, unlike the left, you'll amplify all this, these feelings and emotions and you won't be able to inhibit them and you'll start making fast emotional decisions and to the degree that sometimes our intuition can be entirely wrong, we won't be able to override it. If we have bad attachment models where we constantly chase after love and care from people who are unavailable, who are essentially cruel or are not caring, 
we will not be able unless we into we introduce left hemispheric logic you know stalling uh, inhibitory patterns in our life we will not be able to uh, in any way mitigate triggering states and if we have traumas in our life we won't be able to resolve them because your left hemisphere is what actually when you bring a trauma that's held in your right and you start talking about it, turning it into a story, writing it out, that's what actually resolves traumas and allows your brain to know that something that was painful and horrible is now in the past and doesn't affect you anymore. If you don't, <clears throat> if you don't know how to integrate both exceedingly uh, detrimental personality disorders, cluster B personality disorders, narcissism, borderline, which is associated with overactive right hemisphere, will, uh, you know, uh, become dominant. And interestingly enough, the more we lean to the right in certain areas in our life where we're overly emotional and intuitive and don't stop and seek advice and turn our, our inclinations into a story, other areas in our life we will lean too heavily to the left will bounce back and forth so some men I know I've worked with in counseling who are very very avoidant in relationship constantly seeking distance find any request for intimacy to be invasive and so forth but when it comes to their work then they're entirely right brain freaking out constantly having uh, panic attacks and constantly overreactive in workplaces, but then back at home, the, the moment somebody says, hey, it's my birthday, can we do something? Oh my God, I can't believe it, there's no time for myself. All they do is want, <laughs> want, 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 want. So we want to avoid having these swings for where certain areas in our life, we simply try to figure everything out by obsessive lists which lead nowhere and don't integrate the key intuitive parts that help us make decisions. And for example, if we lean too far to the left in our, when it comes to our career, what we'll do is constantly seek work that makes more money, that looks good on a resume, that uh, accomplishes a lot, and that leaves us more and more looking good to the tribe around us. But people who make decisions that way without integrating the right brain in, then will choose jobs that where they wind up in workplaces where they have no friends, where they don't feel connected, where they don't feel any support, where they are increasingly miserable because all they've done is incorporated the left hemispheric desire to have a good story in my life, to accumulate a lot of experiences. Another example of unintegrated right and left brain is addiction. Addiction is the left hemisphere's attempt to solve a right hemisphere problem. I'll give you an example of how it works. Addicts, alcoholics, such myself, have early wounds in childhood where we didn't establish a secure connection with one of, or both of our caregivers. And so there's this lack of trust in other people, and there's this desire to try to, we feel unsafe expressing our emotions or certain core emotions to others. So the tendency is 
the left brain will step in and say, well, I can solve that. All we need to do is get things. We need to get drunk. We need to get drugs. We need to buy. We need to shop. We need to watch more Netflix. We need to accumulate and release dopamine and feel good for a little while. That way, all those pesky feelings of being isolated and alone and unloved will go away. So that's a classic example of the left brain trying to inhibit right brain painful emotions. The solution is instead to see that there's a right brain problem, that we don't trust other people due to early childhood experiences, and what we need to do is develop safe connections with others where we learn to trust and learn to exhibit our emotions for co-regulation, and that way the left won't have to solve it. So the key in life is to learn to integrate, not to really develop one or the other, but to learn how to neurally integrate so that you can weigh both your impulses for security and connection with your impulses for achievement, accomplishment, moving forward, attaining some degree of independence. The fact that in our culture we, we at times attack dependence and call it codependence shows how left-brain our culture is in trying to solve everything through acquiring more money, acquiring more things. We tend to view people who want to address their anxiety through connection with others, we tend to problematize them when in fact those needs are actually have been shown to be the way forward. So if you can integrate both, immediately making smart decisions become easier. Immediately being in relationships with others become easier because you learn how to feel your feelings and then turn them into words. Right brain, left brain. You learn how to work <coughs> through problems. You learn how to become creative because being creative allows you it requires you to use both hemispheres of your brain. In childhood, we start to develop these skills. They'll teach little children to develop bilateral integration by having the child hold something in one hand and then move it to another hand and then back and forward or close their eyes and touch one, the finger of their right, the, the thumb of their right with the index finger of their left and back and forward or touch their nose when their eyes are closed. All these develop bilateral integration. But unfortunately in adult life, we tend to lose track of keeping these skills going. To be sure, we do bilaterally integrate whenever we ride a bike, we travel to a new place that we haven't been before because Going to a new place, you have to, one, use your right brain to sink in the entire... Your right brain has an open, unfocused awareness. It's drinking in the gestalt of an entire setting. But your left brain is turning it into a story. First we went to Madrid, and then we went to Barcelona or whatever. Right? You're turning into a narrative. So you're using both hemispheres. Anytime you play an instrument, Anytime you do something with your hands, like pottery, you're learning how to integrate both sides of your brain. And you're learning then that capability will become available to you in all of the behaviors the more you integrate. 
journaling your feelings, writing in a diary how you feel, that's really key. Labeling any of your emotions has been shown to be exceedingly bilateral. Sitting down and when you have a strong emotional state, trying to find the perfect word that describes first your body and then your state of attention. So what we do when we want to develop these skills is in our meditation, I'm going to integrate all of these bilateral tools so that you can start to develop an integrative neural or bilateral brain. Another thing we'll be doing is we'll be uh, training the brain to take in both sides of the body. If you're only aware of what your right hand is doing, you're only using your left brain. If you're only aware of what your right foot is doing, you're only using your left brain. But if you're aware of both hands at the same time, if you're aware of both feet, you're integrating both hemispheres. Your left is conscious, so it knows what they're doing, but your right is, is active at the same time too, and working with the left, because only the bright, right brain knows what your entire body is doing. Your right brain establishes balance for you. Your right brain allows you to do anything that integrates both sides of your body. Your left only controls your right hand and your right leg and so forth and your right eye. So to integrate, we need to hold both sides of our body. So that's basically tonight's spiel. Uh, I'm going to now lead you in a meditation that will first self-soothe because uh, to do these we want to be in a place where we can relax. And then I'm just going to introduce some very basic tools that will allow you to <coughs> use both sides. And of course, all the tools we'll be doing are based on early, some early Buddhist techniques. Especially, you'll notice the second part of the meditation I'm going to be leading apart, where we practice labeling. And this labeling is one of the earliest mindfulness techniques of the Dharma. It's essential to insight meditation. Labeling asks that your left and your right work together. And clinically, work by Pennebaker and others has shown that the more you can label what you're feeling, the more you can actually regulate your emotional states. It's called name it to tame it. When you can name how you feel, you can actually start to develop a awareness distance and a sense of control over the state itself. So closing the eyes. And just relaxing and we're gonna use first the right brain if you try to balance and set a good body state with the left, it'll just hold a story of 
what you should be sitting like. It'll have all these unrealistic expectations. But if we use the right, what we do is just allow your body to wobble a little bit, left to right, front to back, like your top. And just without any conscious control, allow the background awareness of the right to allow your body to come to a complete stop so that you find for yourself what is a better posture. And then take, let's take the chin and just lift it out a, a little bit like we're looking at a tall building. And the reason we're doing this is just to prevent the head from slouching in front of the chest. But other than that, we're really not going to put any effort in. We're just going to keep this nice balance and just keep our head from, from falling in front of the chest. But the, we're going to now relax the rest of the body. So let's take a, a really complete in-breath through the nose. And while we do it, lift your shoulders and just hold them up. We're going to Hold, and then rotate your shoulders back, and then as you breathe out through the mouth, drop your shoulders so that you now opened up your chest. And that actually begins to address the vagal vagus nerve, which is how you know your gut feelings and how you speak to the right brain is through the body how you speak to the lower brain is through the body too, the midbrain and brainstem, the limbic structures. So we're going to take another full in-breath and either push out your abdomen or pull it in really tight. Do something that feels abnormal. Hold for a moment and then a long and just allow your belly to soften. A soft belly tells the midbrain, there's nothing for me to be frightened of right now. I'm safe. I'm in a safe setting. I can relax. So for the third breath, breathe in through the nose and clench the jaw, squinch the nose, tighten the micro muscles around the eyes, furrow the forehead, the brow, make an ugly pinched little face that you're glad no one can see and then breathe out. And just soften, release the jaw. Try to pull the corners of the mouth apart so that the mouth is wide, not in a smile, but just a wide 
mouth and then soften the micro muscles around the eyes so that and then invite your eyeballs to relax and settle in the eye sockets like the eye sockets are now warm pools that it, the eyes can just float in but not have to dart about looking for anything because the eyes are closed we're safe here so just if you can settle your eyes you'll find that the mind and the attention which is so your eyes relax and the brain mind begins to relax increasing the forehead just breathing in and softening and from this point on all we're going to do is just focus on our attention our left brain is just going to focus and integrate with the right we're going to extend the length of our out breath to make the out breath as long and smooth as possible so both sides are working together and also the top the brain bottom are working together here now the bottom is helping us breathe sit up but the left the top is going to help us soothe by just making the out breath as long and relaxed so don't push out the air just imagine the air is being gently released allow the right and bottom the brain stem to control the in breath as much as it wants but then work with all parts of your brain just working together to soothe you the longer your exhalations the more relaxed allowing anything that's actually happening right now to be part of awareness so the sounds of the fans sounds of people talking the rooms 
any feelings, warmth and coolness, any twitching, any awareness of alertness or tiredness, jumpiness of attention. And in the foreground of the stage of awareness is just the out-breath. The in-breath can be there too, but we're really focusing on keeping that exhalation as long and smooth as possible. If any area of your body feels really tight, bring the breath to that area. Imagine yourself breathing into any pain in your lower back or any pain in your neck, your legs, just breathe in. Of course, if any time you feel in real discomfort, try to figure out a way to move, but in a way that's so quiet no one else can hear. trying to cultivate the state of mind that you might have the first day of a long weekend. You don't really want to think of anything that's unresolved from the past. You don't really want to think of anything that you have to do in the future. You just want to chill, relax, just be present. You're now at your favorite time where you can just not do anything, not go anywhere, not be responsible for anything, and let go. You don't have to take care of anyone or any projects. I'm just going to let ourselves come to a complete stop in life.
So time and again thoughts will about situations or concerns that are not present will sweep through and like trains your attention will jump aboard and these thoughts will take you far away from what's actually happening right now and this is where we wind up the most not only unhappy Allowing the mind to wander has been shown to create the most reliable form of unhappiness. Keeping the mind present reduces so much stress and suffering. But the key is to add no judgment, no criticism, no impatience. just gently take care of that part of the mind that just wants to chase after anything that comes along and just gently bring it back to what's happening right now just taking care of yourself right now helping yourself relax breathe settle Each time you bring, you wake up from a thought and you come back and take care of yourself, it's a micro example of awakening and liberation. There's no room for self-criticism in growth and self-care.
So at this point, bring your awareness to some side of the body, some part of the body where you can feel yourself breathing. For example, the left or right side of the chest or the abdomen, the shoulder, some part of your body that's moving with the breath. And for this example, I'm just going to use the right chest area. So being aware of that first, just feeling it expand and contract. Breathing in, the expansion, the lift, breathing out, the settling, the release. Breathing in, the Rib cage expands, breathing out. And now bring your awareness to the mirror opposite side of the body, the left. And then what we're going to do is hold both sides of the body the chest, the right and the left, in awareness at the same time. Now at first, it might seem like we're doing it, but if we watch very closely, we might find that awareness is bouncing back and forth between the right, the left, back and forth. So see if you can just keep both sides of your body in awareness. Feeling the entire chest. Keeping the, the out breath really long. So we're now going to move down to our toes, squinching both the right and the left. So you're making squinched toes, squinching your toes. And what I want you to do is try to keep both sensations in your awareness, your right and your left. If it helps, Imagine you're drawing a circle that's slightly larger around both sensations and holding everything in your awareness of your toes. And now while you're doing that, cross two fingers or do something with your hands. Keeping, and try to keep all the sensations of your hands and your toes in awareness. 
okay if it's difficult. Even if it's not happening, you'll find that you'll be using parts, you'll be integrating parts of awareness that you don't commonly do. We're most of the time not aware of both sides of our body. That's generally happening in the background with the right hemisphere. So generally relaxing, fingers and the toes. And now we're going to move to the labeling part. Bring your awareness to the sensations in the front of your body. The vagal vagus nerve runs down your face, to your throat, to your chest, to your belly. And almost all of your key intuitive signals will be represented there. This is known as feelings. When we're in fear, the stomach tightens. When we've lost an important attachment figure in our lives, our chest experiences tightness, known as heartbreak. When we feel stifled, we can't be heard. We feel tightness in our throat. When we feel very often lonely or remorse or joy, we feel it in our face. So just sweep down the front of your body from your face to your throat to your chest to your belly and see if you can represent what you're feeling right now in one word. Awkward, comfortable, happy, lonely, tired, excited, Board. Allow the left to try to express all the information your right is capable of presenting. What is the word that if you had to describe what you're feeling right now? Comfortable, uncomfortable, timid. one word and keep trying different words until you find a word that just feels right. You'll note that's the case when there's a real change in the sensations of your body when you think that word.
And lastly, bring your awareness now to the quality of attention. Does your mind feel really spacious and open or closed or awake, alert, or sluggish, or tired, joyous, or what's the quality? How would you describe the quality of attention in your mind? What's the one word that would capture it? And again, you'll know you found the right word when there's a sudden shift. So at this point, we're going to very slowly open our eyes, but we're going to try to maintain this bilateral brain by, when we open our eyes, look at the ground first and try to keep awareness of some internal sense of how you feel. And then when you're ready to look around, open your eyes up fully, See how much of your embodied awareness you can keep with you. The simplest technique of being integrated in our life is simply to be aware of how we feel as we interact, as we move through our day. 